Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Hi there, this is The Athletic Football Podcast Weekend Preview with Premier League action and the first domestic silverware of the season on the line. I'm Adam Leventhal, joined this week by Tim Spears. How are you, Tim? What's up, bro? <laughs> That's why did you do that? I try why and do something different every week. Oh, right. Okay, cool. Excellent. Uh, I, I'm good, actually. I've got a scratch on my forehead. If you can see. Can yeah, you see? what are you doing? Shall I lie, Luke? Because you yeah, already I know. Yeah, I mean, I know the story already. Should I lie? It's, uh, no one's buying the film rights. Let's put it that way. No. I was I was pruning some roses. <laughs> it's not the most uh, hardcore story, but um, yeah, and and it got caught on my forehead, which is quite sizable anyway, so it could sort of hook onto it. Uh, John McKenzie is here from Tifo. Why have you been talking about throw-ins this week for Tifo? I, I, I've got issues with throw-ins. I spoke to Thomas Gronemark this yes. week for the Tifo Football Podcast. Yes. He's Mr. Throw-in. He, he was is. working with Liverpool and yeah, I spent an hour talking to him about throw-ins and now know everything about throwing so ask me a question and I'll tell you do you approve of long throw-ins being used in football yeah this is an interesting question we, we touched on this in the podcast and Thomas was saying if you've got the players to play long throws into the box then it's a good strategy but mm. if you haven't then it's not um, which I guess makes a degree of sense but he was saying that uh, there's a lot of people now who use the data which suggests you're more likely to score if you throw the ball in the box and he was saying well yeah that's true because teams that are good at throwing the ball into the box do it a lot and score goals, but the other teams are taking bad short throw-ins and not getting any benefit from them. So he was saying if if teams got better just at those short throw-ins, then those numbers would have come down. So, um, yeah, very much a horses-for-courses kind of guy. Did you talk about towels? We didn't mention towels once, actually. Okay. Can I ask, who's who's good at throw-ins? As in, like, a player? Well, okay, so he talked about, he was working with Liverpool and he said that when he first came in, Andy Robertson could only throw the ball a certain amount of distance uh, and he gave him like an extra eight or, or nine metres onto his throw and, and improved the, the technique and he says he now reckons that Andrew Robertson, Robertson is one of the best throwers in the world. So I don't know beyond that who he would have said we didn't really touch on individuals because we ran out of time because there was so much to talk about with the theory of throw-ins. But yeah, really interesting episode. Well, that sounds really good. Uh, people should go and check it out. Although I don't really agree with long throw-ins. I think they go against the spirit of the game. Luke Bosher, how are you? Good to see you. Are you excited about your Wembley appearance with Chelsea? I, I personally won't be appearing at well, Wembley, fine, but, but just, you know, the, no, whole thing. the club will be. And <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's exciting. I am looking forward to it, yeah. Yeah, good. It'll be good. Well, it's good to have you in the studio. The fixture formation this week in terms of the Premier League action is obviously slightly reduced because we've got Liverpool against Chelsea in the Carabao Cup final. We have a 6-1-1 formation from Saturday through until Monday. I will go through the fixtures for you now 
uh, we have four Saturday 3 p.m.s. Oliver Glasner's first game in charge of Crystal Palace against Burnley, who are seven points from safety. Fourth placed Aston Villa are against fifth bottom side in the Premier League, and that is Nottingham Forest. Manchester United, three points off the top five. They take on Fulham in 12th. Brighton are in seventh against Everton, who are only out of the bottom three on goal difference. Then we have a Saturday 5.30, that's Bournemouth in 13th against Manchester City, who are second and hoping to close the gap once again to one point. And we also have a Saturday 8 o'clock, that's Arsenal in third against Newcastle, who are eighth. Then on Sunday, 1.30, it's Wolves. Super Sunday. Super, super, super Sunday. Wolves in 11th against bottom of the lot Sheffield United who are also seven points from safety and then the Monday night football is West Ham who haven't won in eight games in all competitions and they've lost their last three in the Premier League without scoring a goal but they're still ninth against Brentford in 14th. We're going to be previewing the Premier League action a little bit later on but let's start at Wembley. So, Sunday, 3 o'clock, Liverpool against Chelsea. The first domestic trophy of the season, the Carabao Cup, is up for grabs. It's a rematch of the 2022 final, which was a nil-nil draw in normal time. It went to extra time. And then after 21 perfect penalties, Kepa Arizabalaga, who was brought off the bench for the shootout, missed his pen, leaving Liverpool 11-10 winners. Let's talk about who needs it more. Pochettino at the start of his Chelsea career or Klopp at the end of his time in charge of Liverpool? Where are you sitting on this, Tim? Pretty even, I think. It could mm. be Poch's first trophy. It could be Klopp's last. That's the... It's big, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's absolutely no guarantee that Liverpool mm. win any trophies this season. So this could be the last trophy he wins. So it's high motivation for both, really. Sometimes in a, one of these, some of these finals, you get the impression that... One team's sort of, yeah, whatever, it's Carabao Cup and the other's really going for it. But this feels pretty even, two motivated teams that have shown good form recently. Liverpool obviously big favourites, but if Chelsea reproduce the levels they did against Man City, then it's going to be a hell of a game. God, they, were, they were fantastic. We'll get stuck into the, the form, etc. in a moment. But on that, on that question, who do you think might want it more? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a deep psychological question, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um, I mean, for Liverpool, I guess this is a bit of a free hit, right? Um, they'll treat it as, this is a great chance to win silverware. It's not the silverware that they're going to be focusing on this season, but they'll happily take it. Whereas with Chelsea, as we know, they're not challenging for the, the Premier League, not in European competition. So this is the best chance probably they're going to have to, to get um, silverware this, this season. They've had a pretty rough run of it for the last couple of seasons and the, the, the sort of Todd Bowley project, or however you want to term it, needs a win. So I, I, I would say that this is probably more important for, for, for Chelsea. But I, I don't know, sometimes you know, wanting it more can be a hindrance rather than a help, can't it? Maybe maybe Liverpool going in and, and having, you know, a, a little bit of licence to, to not worry as much as Chelsea might will, will help them to win the trophy. How much do you want it, Luke? I mean, personally, I think it would be great for, I mean, this is really like football cliches territory, <laughs> but like it would be great for like the project. I think it would help buy Pochettino a lot of favour 
with the fan base, maybe not so much with the club hierarchy, because I think the sort of financial benefits from winning the Carabao Cup and then going into the Europa Conference League next season aren't amazing. But certainly I think it will kind of help to validate his time at Chelsea, which has so far been, you know, quite up and down, ebbed and flowed quite a lot in terms of the sort of general sense of how fans are feeling towards him. Because I think some have been quite level-headed, but others have been less level-headed, shall we say. But I still, to be honest, to go back to your first question, I, I think it means more to Chelsea and certainly Pochettino. I think Liverpool are in this weird position where they're the better team, but they're also going to manage to kind of be almost underdogs going into the game because of their injuries that they've got, which I think is a great position for them to be in, in terms of, you know, that mentality. And I think Chelsea, you know, five finals at Wembley, they've they've lost them all. You know, that's their recent run, which isn't great going into it. But then again, this is a different Chelsea team. You know, the player turnover has been extraordinary over the last kind of 12 to 18 months. So why do you think that? What, what, is there any clues as to why they can't perform at Chelsea uh, at, at Wembley? I, I don't know. I think you, they've obviously faced some pretty good teams there. You know, yeah. Liverpool, as you talked about, I think they've lost to Man City and Arsenal um, in the Carabao and FA Cups. But I think it's just one of those things. I genuinely think it's just one of those things where on the day each time they've kind of been second best and couldn't really complain about losing. I don't think it's necessarily a mentality thing or this group of players type thing. Because as I said... I think there's been enough player turnover that you know some hardly any of the squad, if any, will have will have been at Chelsea when they lost the first in that run, which I think was probably about six years ago, maybe. But they do go into it in good form, and as you obviously mentioned, the the Liverpool injuries may well be a bit of a leveler. Do you think that there are views within inside Chelsea that that you could sneak into Europe via the league? even if you don't win this cup? I think that would be really hard to do via the league because if you look at the teams, Chelsea are 10th right now in the table and you look at the teams above them, West Ham admittedly are on a massive downward trajectory having been as high as 5th or 6th I think a couple of weeks ago. But you know, above that you've got Newcastle and Brighton who you know have had their own injury problems this season but are two very strong teams um, and I think very capable of going on decent runs when they get some of their more important players back, and particularly in the case of Newcastle. So I, think, so I think based on Chelsea's inconsistency in the league this year, it'll be really difficult for them to say, yeah, we, we can definitely get seventh place. So I, I do think this is their best chance of getting into Europe next year. Do you not want to mention the team in 11th that's level on points with Chelsea? <laughs> I don't know who that is. I don't know who that is but... not, not, partic- not particularly. Honestly. Do you, think, do you think Wolves could go on a run? I think Wolves uh, are under the radar, as, as just uh, proven there. They're where they should be, right? Uh, yeah, but um, they Wolves can be... Wolves aren't under the radar. Come on, everyone talks about Wolves. Everyone loves Gary O'Neill. Do they? I yeah, never really noticed because I'm, so. I'm in the bubble. I never, I never no, really... No, everyone likes Gary I think, O'Neill. I think, yeah. I think yeah. Wolves are... I, don't, I wouldn't say Wolves are under the radar. I just think Newcastle and Brighton are just like... They're the teams that are like kind of fighting out for that last European place. I think the teams above them will stay the same. The top six. that The order will change. Yeah. And then I think it's like Newcastle, Brighton. Chelsea probably like to think they can but won't. Well, we've also got a set style with a set team that suits them really well and they can beat any team in the league. So uh, they can also lose to any team in the league. They've beaten, <laughs> they've beaten Man City and they've lost to Sheffield United already this season. So, But if they can put a bit of a run together. Well, anyway. I don't know why we're talking about Wolves. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a bit simply yeah. because of you. <laughs> simply really because sorry. of you two. It's fine. No, that's fine. Because no, you, you're entitled to do you that. You besmirch them just because they're on the same points <laughs> as Chelsea, you see. So. Yeah, well, that's true. They're mid-table fodder, aren't they, really? 
Um, if it comes down to penalty kicks again, who's going to be the better goalkeeper in a penalty shootout? Kelleher or Petrovic? Don't look at me. I'm not answering it. Come on. I'm not answering a question on goalkeepers. I Why not? I haven't got a clue. I, think, I don't know anything. On, I don't, I like, and this can. is now, I'm really like plucking this. I think Georgi Petrovic came to Chelsea with a, a bit of a good reputation for saving penalties okay. in MLS yes, from New right, England Revolution. Yeah. I think he was he was known to me. And he obviously he's saved... A, he's a great shot stopper. Isn't yeah, he? he's a great shot stopper. Like less, Slightly less good with his feet. I think he saved one or two against Newcastle yeah, in the competition definitely. earlier in the season when that game went to a penalty shootout. But he's quite... I think he fills the goal quite well. I think when you look at it, when he's in that Newcastle shootout, when you look at him. So I I would instinctively say him. Um, done very well, I think, since coming into the Chelsea team. In the game against Liverpool, the 4-1, yeah. pulled off some absolutely cracking Did. saves. In yeah, that yeah. Game. But if it doesn't get that far to penalties, in terms of the two styles... John, it's over to you and your underlying yeah, numbers. Well, I've, I won't say any underlying numbers, but I do think playstyle-wise, it's a really interesting matchup because, as we've already mentioned, we had that 4-1 uh, win to Liverpool in the Premier League earlier earlier on. And I think Liverpool's playstyle causes a lot of problems to, to Chelsea because they're able to target the weaknesses, I think, that Chelsea have out of possession. So Chelsea do a couple of things that I think Liverpool really targeted in that game. So one of them is that Chelsea can often press quite high in, and aggressively. And if you can get through that line of pressure, you can you can find space in between the midfield and the and the defence, which you can then you can you can then run at the, the back line and cause problems. That was the first goal that was scored. McAllister punches the ball through the lines to Giotto, then runs at the back line and gets the first goal. And then the next two goals, so there's a goal by Connor Bradley and there's a goal by Dominic Sobersly. In those two scenarios, what happened is that Liverpool were able to target the fact that Chelsea actually get quite narrow, quite compact uh, vertically. So if you can get the ball through the first line and then switch it quite quickly, then space opens up on the other side. So you may remember... Connor Bradley running down the, the in the wide area, receiving the ball and playing it back across the goalkeeper. And then he also played a cross to Dominic Sobersly as well when they created space on one side um, by switching it from the other. So, yeah, I think that play style-wise, regardless of the fact that Liverpool are missing some players, which I think will impact that, Liverpool playing quite directly will cause Chelsea some problems. Well, we shall see how it pans out. Uh, before we get your predictions, just a quick word from you, Luke on Chelsea nicking everything they can from Brighton. They've taken Sam Jewell, who was the head of recruitment. Why are they so fixated on taking everyone from Brighton? It's the 11th Brighton player or member of staff to switch in 18 months. What's the deal? I mean, get some new ideas. I mean, we, I think, you know, it's been spoken about on this podcast before about how well run Brighton are and, you know, how well they've done to recruit such you know, great players, you know, unearth these, you know, McAllister, Caicedo. And so I think it's just a case of like seeing they're good and we can kind of take these people from them and, and instill them into our project, entice them with presumably higher salaries and, you know, a slightly higher ceiling in terms of the club's ambitions. So it kind of makes sense. And then when you think about, you know, Chelsea hired Paul Winstanley, who, whose job at Brighton Sam Jewell stepped into. So obviously, you know, Winstanley very aware of Jules' work and his pedigree. So it, it kind of makes sense from that perspective in terms of, you know, bringing in people that you know. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. It's becoming a bit of a meme, isn't it? Uh, but it's Lord knows. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a good, I, I like that. Uh, let's get the predictions. Oh, from one of the prediction lords himself. Thank you. Uh, you did well recently, apparently. Did you? 
I said Arsenal would beat Burnley 5 0 last week. Yeah. And it was a complete fluke. But... Got it bang on. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> What's the prediction for uh, the Carabao Cup final? Uh, I don't know, really. Um, it's a tough one. I mean, Lord knows. Yeah. <laughs> I guess from Chelsea's point of view, it's the, it's the best time of the season to play Liverpool because they've got 10 players out. Well, they did, in, they did in the week anyway. I think they'll have Salah and Nunes back, but otherwise still missing up to half a team potentially. And. Yeah, they looked pretty good last week. But I think still, even if Liverpool's team is slightly patched up, they've got a better side. They've got pedigree. And I think they'll win 2-1. be nice to have a classic, though. I was trying to think of my favourite Carabao Cup final earlier and not many sort of sprang to mind. No. They've either been tight or no contact. Well, the last, was last year's all right against between Man U and Newcastle. It was, it was OK. It's OK. Right. It was we haven't okay. had a humdinger, though, have we? We haven't had a humdinger. I want a 4-3-er, last-minute goaler. Yeah. Uh, Luke, Chelsea going to win? I'm going to go 1-1. Right. And then who's going to win? I don't know. It'll be penalties. That's top penalties, of the coin, And then it? who's going to win the penalties? Football. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> you're not going to give me a prediction? I'll give you one. 1-1 one, one is the prediction. That's the scoreline. Yes. You for a score prediction. I've given you a score prediction. Oh. <laughs> Lord, I don't know what... Lord only knows <laughs> what you're doing. Give me a prediction. Who's winning uh, it? Who's lifting Liverpool. the pot? Poch is Poch going to lift the pot? Liverpool, I think. Then. All right, clock pot. Good. John, two numbers or just a simple prediction? Two nil to Liverpool. Brilliant. Okay, uh, we're going to be heading off to the Emirates next. But before we go, we've got a special audio documentary on Liverpool's rather successful history in the League Cup. Hello, old friend. It's good to see you again. I always feel when you play for a big club like Liverpool, playing for Liverpool is not enough. You've got to win. When you play for that football club, which is why it's special, is you don't just play for the football club, you play for the fans. It was one of those games where you think, ah, oh, you never know, we might be on our way back here. Ahead of what will be Liverpool's record 14th appearance in the League Cup final this Sunday, we have a special audio documentary charting the red success in the competition. Join me, Kiva O'Neill, as we hear from the likes of Jamie Carragher, Rob Jones and Mark Lawrenson, as well as walk-on regulars Tony Evans, James Pearce and Simon Hughes. Available now on both Walk On and Go Deeper, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Right, let's get back to the Premier League and talk about the title race. Uh, Liverpool... Four points clear at the top now with 60 points, but they have played a game more. Uh, then Manchester City have 56 points and Arsenal have 55. 
Uh, and they have been in really, really good form, Arsenal, so far in 2024. Uh, five Premier League wins in a row. They did obviously have that hiccup in the Champions League against Porto on Wednesday night. This weekend, they're hosting Newcastle. It is the late kickoff on Saturday night. Looking for revenge after that controversial 1-0 loss at St. James's Park earlier on in the season. If you could describe it in a sentence, what would you describe that fixture as, that controversial game? Well, it's VAR nonsense, wasn't it? Wasn't it like three three things in the in the goal that could have gone either way? Maybe. Yeah. Uh, they've got they've had a bit of beef over the past couple of seasons with time wasting and Arteta versus Eddie Howe and Jason Tindall. And uh, <laughs> yeah, there's beef. We like it. Yeah, it is good. It sets it up nicely. And Arsenal do have a really good record in this fixture. They haven't conceded to Newcastle at the Emirates since December 2014. That is quite a long, long time. Arsenal this season, in terms of their defensive performances, have been exceptional. Only 22 conceded. They've only conceded two goals in the five Premier League wins in a row. How are they keeping teams so far away from their goal, John? Well, I think this summer, Arteta wanted to make them more defensively solid. I think the, the, the general reading he had of the end of last season was that they lost it because William Saliba got injured and um, they weren't able to stay in games as long as they were in, in, in the previous half of the season. So they've they definitely recruited with that in mind. They've brought in Declan Rice, who is, is, as the kids say, a cheat code when it comes to defending wide spaces in transition in particular, which is important I think for a team like Arsenal who are trying to be high possession so they're going to be trying to move the ball into the opposition half squeeze them into their own uh, into their own box and then you're always open for for these counter-attacks that we see Man City conceding from all the time but also bringing in players like Kai Havertz um, who is going to yeah obviously a very controversial figure for a lot of people in terms of this, his success rate but out of possession another player who's really going to add to your your, your steal so I think is, personnel is, before wise, you go on is the, is, is the jury still out on Havertz or have they returned a positive verdict now I think I, I, but I think everyone everyone's always always known what Kai Havertz is right and I, I suppose the big question isn't like has he been successful or not so much as ha- have Arsenal got out of him what they want to get out of him and I think I think that the Arsenal fans probably would largely argue that yes, they have games against the top six in particular. They can play him in a certain way, and he adds a lot to to their ability to control games. With that, with that in mind, all this the personnel that they have, they can now play a really, really smart, modern, I would say, out of possession game. And what that tends to look like is the ability to shift from from structured blocks jumping forward into man-to-man moments. So the game against Liverpool, I think, was a really good example of that. They're just able to shut teams out because they can stop them They can stop them at source from being able to build up and cause them problems entering the, the, the final third in the way that they want to. So they make it harder for them to move the ball down the field into those dangerous scoring areas. But also, if their press does get broken, they can fall back into that and do that box defending that makes them pretty much impenetrable as well. William Saliba, for me, the best centre-back in the world right now as well. So I think that they've just got brilliant personnel and they're really well coached and, and the result is what we're seeing in the league is that it's very hard to score against Arsenal. Saliba better than Craig Dawson? It's tight, I would say, but I yeah. think, yeah, this season he's finally persuaded me that he's he's made that step. Okay, all right, fair enough. We're getting sidetracked again by Wolves, that's fine. In terms of... The, the talk around Arsenal, mm. yes, we've, we've spoken about their defensive record and it's exceptional. Have they got the, the stardust? Have they got the, the Salah? Have they got the Haaland? And is Saka that guy? Uh, yeah. Can he have as much influence in this remaining 
13 games or whatever it is. Yeah, I mean, he sort of is already. I think only Salah and Haaland have had more goal involvement since the, since the start of last season than Saka. I mean, the key to Arsenal's form is, is going on holiday. Uh, yeah. it's, it's it's crazy. What two weeks in Dubai? In fact, maybe you know if this if this pod needs a needs, <laughs> if, for, you if. know <laughs> for the for the push for the, the last few months of the season, we should just go to Dubai. <laughs> they talked about roses again. We need to send them off. Yeah, that's what was, <laughs> but yeah, no. Be, before they went, uh, seven games in all comps, won one, lost four, and then since then, going into the Porto game, they'd won five and scored twenty one in the process. And they look they look good enough to win the league at the moment. But obviously, the level of Opposition has to be taken into account in their last two games. But sure, I think one thing that James McNicholas pointed out this week, which I thought was really interesting, was that for the Porto game, only Kai Havertz had played in the last 16 Champions League tie. Uh, like featured, not just started a game. So we, I think we forget how inexperienced they are. That will count against them when you when you look at what Liverpool and City can do. But at the moment, certainly in terms of the defence, I mean, that that's what all t- great title winners have is a solid defence. Normally when the team is inexperienced and it's, you know, uh, can can you outscore the opposition kind of approach and, and gain momentum? But Arsenal are controlled this year. They have that in their back pocket for sure. One thing that I've, I've kind of liked about the defence in, in recent weeks is I think we've seen Zinchenko struggled a bit with injury and also form. I think he's come under a lot of flack, particularly defensively. But then Tomiyasu was playing at left back and then Kivior had that one game where he looked really unsteady but Arteta's kind of he's almost like freed Ben White on the other side in order to bring Kivior in in the last couple of games and have him be more defensive and I think that's that's gone really well I think that those kind of mid-season like tactical tweets that are quite subtle those are really important if you're looking for a team to go on a run and kind of dealing with problems um, in terms of personnel is, is just really good because I don't think anyone thinks that Jacob Kiviar is a title winning defender but the fact that he's able to play like a pretty crucial role when Arsenal do have, have had those injuries to Zinchenko and Tomiyasu to contend with is I think it's a mark of you know how tactically astute Arteta is and in getting the best out of someone like Ben White. I was just going to say we we talk about their defence because the defence is the best part of their game but they they do have this tendency I think to at times struggle at generating chances and even in some of the games they played recently I think was it the West Ham game where they scored three set pieces to go 3-0 up yesterday against Porto they put up 0.09 expected goals in open play which is mind-bogglingly small uh, amount of open play generation and yes obviously their set pieces are brilliant and and Nico Jova has done a really good job there but there's a lot of the times where you feel as though they've got to go up in games in order to then be able to release the handbrake or whatever they call it. So for me, there's, there's still big questions about the way that they are able to progress the ball down the field and the stuff they do in possession. Out possession, really, really good, but sometimes questions about the in possession. And it's interesting you mentioned about the experience because that Porto side was very experienced, wasn't it? Yeah. And although it is a first leg and you would expect, well, Arsenal fans would certainly expect them to go and win it in the second leg, that maybe that, that nous factor in the Champions League Played, oh, we do. We definitely played. saw that with the amount of yeah. time wasted. The ball was hardly in play. Yeah. Okay, let's switch to Newcastle. Their defence last season was standout. Well, their overall performances were were far better, obviously, as we know. But now they've got one of the worst defensive records, especially in the in the top half of the table. What has changed for them, John? 
Yeah, I think it's just the the ramifications of playing a really intense style of football, right? I see Eddie Howe's Newcastle as, as almost being a, a, a sort of reproduction of Jurgen Klopp's early Liverpool, where he came in and was like, you know, the counter-pressing is the, the best number 10 in the world. We're going to come uh, into the Premier League and, and sort of Bundesliga it a little bit. Very quickly, Jurgen Klopp realised that his Liverpool had to develop elements of control. And as a result of that, we, we saw things changing and they became... They kept, obviously elements of that of that um, really intense gegenpressing pressing all the way through but they developed the ability to keep the ball as well realising that you can't just constantly go and go and go because you, you get burnt out from it and you, you aren't able to control games and I feel as though that's where, where Newcastle are at now they've had Champions League football that they've had to add to their schedule um, and they haven't really been able to develop that uh, ability to not have to play directly all the time. So I think it, this is part of the process that those sorts of teams go through in the Premier League. So the big question is going to be whether or not Eddie Howe can, can fix that. They also had a freakish run in terms of selection last season. So they had the, the same back five pretty much every single week. Mm. Pope, Trippier, Botman, Cher and Burn. They missed nine games between the five of them for the whole of last season, which is it's got to be the most consistent back five in, in the league, I would, I would imagine. This season, the same five players have missed 31 games. So that's that's undoubtedly played a big part of it because they just haven't got the strength in depth. And, you know, we know that they're taking their time to build their squad rather than doing a Chelsea and just chucking at it in one window. So, so yeah, I think I think they'll be better off for it next season. I think it aggregates as well, right? They, they were able to play that back five the whole way through last season, but this season they've all started getting injured as a result of the fact that they were played so regularly last season as well. So clearly squad depth issues there. Where do you stand on Newcastle, Luke? Obviously they've had... You know, this difficult season, as we've been discussing, but albeit they're still in the top 10, there's not really any talk about Eddie Howe being under particular pressure, but there's just this sort of feeling in the ether that maybe at the end of the season, there might be some sort of reflections on where they stand, not in terms of him directly, but how well the process is going or the project is going from the outside looking in where do you see them do you think they're just they're doing they're doing well in the circumstances I think when you look at Newcastle's squad you know last season and this season I think it's still hard to argue that Eddie Howe hasn't done a very very good job coaching wise mm. you look at some of the players you know you talk about the players that were in the back line you think no one thought Dan Byrne would be a you know, Champions League left back, but he was integral to them last year and this year. And someone like Miguel Almiron, you know, his form's dipped off a little bit this year. And I think that's a reason why they've struggled a bit going forward at times because he hasn't been as productive for them. But, you know, the, you know th these are not like, you know, particularly well-heralded players all over the pitch. You know, someone like Joe Linton's been, you know, reborn as a central midfielder. His absence, I think, in recent weeks has been really crucial for them. And, you know, I think Eddie Howe's done a really good job and I, th I don't think that can be underestimated. And I think, you know, when Tim compares it to Chelsea, the fact that they managed to get Champions League football in I, what I believe was Eddie Howe's first full season in charge was absolutely unbelievable. So I think this season it is a little bit more of a regression to the mean, but I think it's been, you know, even heavier than that because of the injuries that they've had. So I think I think next season, when they have another transfer window of you know, PIF money and, you know, they refresh the squad a little bit more. I think they will definitely be targeting a kind of top six finish, you know, for the 24-25 season. Let's get your predictions. Tim, it's Arsenal against Newcastle. That's Again. it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's it. That's it. I'm, I'm going to say 3-1 to the Arsenal. Okay. Luke? I think a lot will hinge on whether Fabian Cher is fit. Um, 
because I think he's a bit of a doubt. But I think I'm going to go 3 0 Arsenal. I'll go 2 0 Arsenal. Okay. Thank you, gents. Next up, we're going to be checking in with Crystal Palace's new manager. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. So Crystal Palace take on Burnley in one of the three o'clock kickoffs on Saturday and it's the first game in charge of the new boss, Oliver Glasner who has been speaking about his uh, plans for Crystal Palace. And I will boil his um, philosophy down into something pretty simple, because he did as well. And that was wanting to score goals, because that's what we all like to do, because we all want to celebrate with each other. And we've all wanted to do that since we were in the playground at school playing football, which I quite like, to be honest. But, John, it does feel a little bit like (laughs) they've gone from a little bit dull to someone that just wants to go, oh, come on, let's forget about all this. <laughs> let's enjoy Let's enjoy our football again. Is that a misrepresentation of, of this swing from Roy to, to Oliver? I mean, I think it's very easy for a coach to come in and say, what's your philosophy scoring goals? It, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a tap-in, isn't it? Everyone seems to have this opinion that Oliver Glasner is this sort of like swashbuckling, gung-ho coach. My experiences of watching his football hasn't, been that he, he he plays in this three four three formation which can fall back into a five four one with the the front line dropping alongside the midfield and and, and a sole striker and they they're quite passive in their block but it's a, it's a really nice counter attacking shape so if you win the ball back then you've got all of this space for the wing backs to run into um, and so they can be exciting going forward in that way but I wouldn't describe them as a sort of like throw all four sheets to the wind I'm using lots of 
pirate, pirate metaphor for some reason. I don't That's know why fine. my brain has gone there. But I was speaking uh, to JJ Bull earlier on. He did something about pirates, didn't he? He in, he enjoys pirates, yeah, yeah. The skeletons. But yeah. I won't. I'll I'll miss the skeleton analogies. I'll stick to the pirate ones. But yeah, yeah I, I don't see him as a, a guy who's going to just come in and have them playing this really ag- ag- defensively naive style of play that almost sounded like what was being suggested there I think they'll be very solid I think they'll be interesting they'll be well coached they'll know exactly what they're doing and I think Glasner's had a had a history of working with decent teams in the Bundesliga now who've got a couple of exceptional players and he's got the most out of them so Val Weghorst at Wolfsburg when he was there Randall Colomwani or Daichi Kamada as well like really good high level players in a team where you don't have that sort of depth across the whole team but he's got them playing in this system which allows these players to actually shine and I think that will work quite well for Palace he'll have a combination of the ability to have a really solid structure that will allow them to play to their strengths you know, sitting deep and then hitting in, in, in on the counter, but also with players like Eze, like Michael Elise, exciting players who he will get the most out of as well. So, yeah, I can see the, the logic behind it for sure. For people who don't know much about him, do you want to give us a little bit of a, a briefing on Glasner, Mr. Boscher? Uh Yeah, sure. I mean, Austrian coach obviously was at Frankfurt and Wolfsburg before then. And I th- I think it's a really interesting appointment for Palace and I think it's one of those where it's another I think it's another mark of the the sort of attraction of the Premier League where you know this guy coached Eintracht Frankfurt to a Conference League final and did well with Wolfsburg as well qualified them for the Champions League yeah so like but and he's going to like you know with the greatest respect Crystal Palace who are genuinely in a relegation battle it's, it'll be interesting to see how it goes because I don't look at Palace's squad necessarily and think, oh yeah, that you know three-back system with wing-backs, it doesn't look necessarily built for that. Daniel Munoz, who they bought from Belgium in January, profiles as quite an attacking right-back, you know, very good going forward in terms of his you know underlying numbers, like you know take-ons and progressive passing. But on the other side, Tyreek Mitchell, I think, is a fantastic defensive left-back, but you know all his outstanding numbers are in you know blocks, tackles, interceptions. He's not amazing going forward. And I think when you look at the the Frankfurt team that, that Glasner had was, I think one of the cornerstones to that was Kostic, who was like a converted winger, you know, going back to left wing back and eventually moved on to Juventus after I, I getting loads of, I can't remember exactly how many, but loads of assists in the Bundesliga. So it'll be interesting to see how his philosophy kind of translates to the Palace squad, I think. But it's a, I think it's a really, really cool appointment. It's definitely a risk, you know. The um, I think Phil Hay did a piece this time last year when lots of teams were changing their manager and analysing just how much of a difference a new manager can really make when it comes to the sort of running. And there aren't many teams tend to stay at you know similar points per game or get worse. So it's a risk. I thought it was a, it was a massive point for them the other night. If they'd lost to Everton, they'd have been bang in trouble. But they've got a five point buffer. Um, a bit of room to play with, and yeah, it is. It is. It is. It's. It's an interesting appointment. It's also long overdue. Like <laughs> the the decision to give Hodgson another season just gets it got worse by the week throughout the season. Basically, I don't. Know, I don't know what the plan was. I don't know why they gave him the job when they had last summer to find to find a Glasner. And well, Glasner was available. That was it because he left Eintracht Frankfurt at the end of last season and that was publicised before he he was available he was available it's bizarre yeah. absolutely bizarre I, d- I don't see what they wanted to get out of another season with Hodgson um, there were lots of no, you know you can laugh at me for bringing him up but Gary O'Neill was available last summer you know a young a young guy who could, could have coached Palace very well so yeah they've corrected their mistake 
uh, probably not too late. I think they'll just about stay up. I think it's worth remembering as well that Palace have tried to get the exciting up-and-coming young European manager before twice. They've, they've had De Boer and they've had um, Vieira as well and obviously to, to differing levels of success. But I think that when you go through that process a couple of times, you start becoming a little bit more... Uh, aware of the of the risks that are involved, so I'm sure it was something something to do with that. But I think with Hodgson, what you get is you know that he's going to come in, instill that system that that he does, and and if if your coach previously has has sort of let things slip a bit, you know that he's going to have that uptick because everyone knows where they stand. So it's, it's nice, solid, easy to understand system. And I think we'll, they will get that from Glasner. I think that regardless of the concerns about how they fit into a into a back three system, he will know exactly what he wants from each player and they will be well drilled in that. I think the, the only thing I see going wrong with it in the future is that they may hit a ceiling and they think, is this guy actually creative enough to get to get us to the next level but they're not worrying about that right now because they want to get to that level that they then reach the next level from yeah and he, they will hope that he has a a surging sort of season that he has done in at, at other clubs um in terms of Burnley a quick word on them I mean you mentioned points per game I did a bit of mathematics earlier on and they're averaging uh, 0.52 per game they're seven points from safety if they continue on that record they won't get seven more points to even get out of the relegation zone now in the remaining 13 games that they've got. They are playing Wolves though and we know that they've got a good record against Wolves this season. <laughs> I'm not talking about Wolves. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> um, you've out-Wolves yourself already. Um, but in terms of Burnley, I mean, they're, we, they're down, they're out and this is qu- actually quite a nice game for, for Glasner or does company know his side even though it's a, a little bit all over the shop by all accounts does he know his side better than Glasner will? Yeah, it's, it's tough for a coach coming in as well. Like, it, people seem to think that coaching is just you turn up and you say, play in these positions and then suddenly everything's fixed. But it takes a long time to to get players not only used to the system they're playing in, but familiar with the system well enough to be able to manipulate. So I think it's early doors to suggest that like if this goes, that, that, that either Glasner is going to immediately like have some kind of panacea that fixes everything uh, or that, you know, this game against Burnley isn't going to be a really tough start for them anyway. So yeah, he'll be happy that he's got a chance to come up against the team that he should be getting a win against. But if he doesn't get a win against them, yeah. it looks bad from the off. So it's one of those ones where, you know, if, if you win, great. But if you don't, then it's actually a horrible start. Yeah. And he hasn't got his stardust to start off with. He hasn't got Eze, he hasn't got Elise, which is what he really wants to get back as quickly as possible. We shall see what happens in that game. In terms of some of the other games, let's quickly rattle through them. Nick Miller isn't here, so we don't need to talk about Nottingham Forest. But they did obviously uh, get a win last time out, which just sort of eased them away a little bit from relegation worry, but they're still one of the low-hanging fruit. Manchester United against Fulham and Man United, they're going along great guns and mainly down to Mr. Rasmus Hoyland, who's aiming to score for the seventh game in a row. He is a proper striker, is he not, Tim? Yeah, and Man United are fantastic to watch at the moment. They are, they are the team that I would tune in to watch at the moment. I, I think it's 22 goals in the last six You've games. Changed. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. You have, haven't you? It shows you, doesn't it? it it's, that's great to hear from you, Tim. <laughs> because, you know, you were so critical of them. You were saying... Yeah. They're so inconsistent. They I don't know what they're going <laughs> to deal me out. You, you like, don't know what you're going to get. You don't know what you're going to no. get. It's like a box so what of I said chocolates. was right. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you were very, very correct. But now yeah. you can. I can what? You can. You know what chocolate you're going to get. I don't, I still don't yeah. think you do, really. Oh, no, you still I think, don't know. I think the attraction to Man United is the chaos. Yeah. Right? Yeah. They were very cut against Luton last week. Yeah. Yeah. Their performances are terrible. 
They've only got plus one goal difference, but they're very entertaining. They concede a lot they're and they score games. a lot. Yeah, at the moment, I don't think it'll last. But either way, you, you know you're going to get entertainment at the moment, whether it's against Newport or Luton or whatever. They're going to struggle, but they might still win. It's okay, interesting. Brighton against Everton. 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 I found out an interesting stat about Everton earlier on. Someone's been doing his research. You Someone's read the pre-prepared stat sheet. No, I even went off. I even went off that script. Who has got the second most? I've sort of given away. I'm going to go. Can I stop? Yeah, I'm going to go with Everton. Yes, They've picked up the same amount of clean sheets as Liverpool this season with eight, but obviously they can't score goals. Did anyone watch that Everton Palace game? Yes, I did. It was absolute dog of a game, wasn't it? Terrible. They, they really picked up in the last 20 minutes, though, Evan. They looked absolutely destined to score a few goals. But well, they've got Decore they, back, which yeah, will help them. and they scored a few at Brighton last year, didn't they? Well, They're good from oh, good from set pieces. It was 5-1, well. wasn't it? 5-1 yeah. it was, yeah. It was 5-1. Anyway, Bournemouth against Manchester City. Bournemouth, Bournemouth aren't going to... They're not going to do one, are they? On City, well, City are funny oh, at the moment, they aren't they? City. I think they could. Do you? Yeah, I think City have you know, looking looks amazing. Everyone they yeah. play at the moment. Yeah. Okay. All right. Fine. So I mean, we're, predi- we're predicting a, a Bournemouth win in that one. From... Yeah, for you know John's favourite Spanish manager oh, in the Premier course. League. Iraola. What a man. Eats paella. What a team. Drinks Estrella. Meanwhile, a uh, couple of other games. West Ham Brentford. That's your Monday night football, as we've mentioned. But Wolves against Sheffield United. Would you like to say anything oh, about hear that? The excitement in your voice. Would you like to say anything about it's that? It's not bolded on the no? sheet, so we can't. They've already beaten us once this season, so I'm not up. To I'm just being told we've run out of time. <laughs> um, Tim, it's been great to have you on the show. Thank you very much. Yeah, <laughs> thumbs up. Audio experience. <laughs> uh, you did that. You gave me a thumbs up. Did you? There was that, a thought. It was. That a thumbs was a thumbs up. up. Yeah, yeah, good. Yeah. Um, Luke. Enjoy the weekend. Sat at home. Fair weather Chelsea fan. Yeah, uh, just a casual. Just a filthy, filthy casual. (laughs) Nothing more to add. No, that's good. Um, And and are you going to be watching any games this weekend at home or on location? All of them. You know me. I'm in my, what do you call it? My tactics dungeon or something. Is that what you Bunker. Bunker, that's it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'll be keeping keeping my eye open on things. I I make a off-the-weekend video every Monday. Did you notice where I pick up on some interesting tactical tweet that a manager has done so I have to keep my eye across everything just in case something happens and that drops on Monday it drops around four or five on Monday afternoon and where do people see it on all kinds of platforms YouTube Instagram and TikTok yeah but the the name of the the Athletic FC right well done jolly good right Uh, I do hope everyone uh, listening enjoys your weekend IO is going to be back on Monday and we will have another weekend preview next week as usual thank you very much for listening have a great weekend The Athletic.